several years ago, my aunt had to get a knee replacement. And uh, it was, you know, like most people, she put it off as long as she possibly could. And, and she went from just limping to walking with a cane to walking with a walker. And finally, she could put it off no longer. She went and got her knee replaced. Now, the doctor uh, committed, you know, performed the surgery. And the day she woke up, he came to her and he said, Janice, you're scared. Uh, and this, you're, you're scared to put weight on this knee. And I want you to know that it's made of titanium and it can support thousands of pounds. And you're going to be scared to bend this knee. And I want you to know that while you were asleep, I bent it all the way back so that your heel touched your glutes. This thing can do everything that you could not do. Janice, it's going to hurt to walk on it. It's going to hurt. But if you don't walk on it, scar tissue is going to build up, and in a relatively short time, you won't be able to bend it at all. I promise it will support you. You've got to walk on it. And then, starting two days later, every morning, she would get up, and she would put weight on it, and it would hurt. And she would feel wobbly, and she would get scared. And she'd grab that walker. And, and, and as the days went on, she would, you know, just use the walker all day. And then every night, she would go to bed and say, tomorrow, I'm going to walk on it. And the same liturgy every day. Feel, feel the pain, feel the fear, grab the walker. Tomorrow, I'm going to walk on it. And after... <laughs> just about four to five weeks it became completely useless it was frozen because of the scar tissue she couldn't bend it she had to go back to the doctor she had to be put to sleep and the doctor I, I think this from what it sounds like all he did was she was on her back he, she, he lifted her knee and went <laughs> and her husband says he could hear the scar tissue breaking from the hallway I said that just to gross you out a little bit. But also because that is a good illustration, I think, for what it means to live by grace. When you were converted, the Lord came to you and he said, you've been a failure in all you've tried to do as far as being morally perfect. You have set yourself a standard. You've tried to live by my standard, and you have failed. And I have replaced that with grace. I've made you a new creation. You need to start walking by faith now. You have Christ now. You are in Christ now. The old is gone. The new has come. Trust me. Walk by grace. Live by faith. Be Christ in you. Trust him. And that feels scary. And it feels like we're letting go of control of things. And... It feels like we're, we're bearing this vulnerable part of our souls, and that hurts. And so every morning, we grab all of our rules. We grab all of our laws, all of our traditions, all the, the things we know we ought to be doing, and we put Jesus by the side, and we say, Tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to live by faith. And very soon, he becomes useless to us. We nullify him. 
We're still going to heaven. We haven't lost salvation. But in our day-to-day functional life, we have none of the joy, none of the freedom, none of the, the gratitude, none of the fullness of living by grace. That's what's going on in this text this morning. Uh, and, and the Apostle Paul, he, he's talking to Peter. You remember Jonathan preached about it last week. And, and Peter, he, uh, he was doing fine. He was, he was living by grace. And the Jews came back and they, with all their rules. And they started looking down their noses at him going, you're, you're eating with them? You're eating that? You're not one of us? And Peter's like, no, no, I'm one of you. I'm still one of you. And he starts only eating with Jews and only eating the kosher food and, and avoiding the Gentiles. And in doing that, he was condemning the, those who were in Christ. By his actions, he was condemning them. By doing that, he was affirming those who were living by law and, and rejecting Christ. And by doing that, he was nullifying the grace of Christ in his life. And Paul said to him, you have got to walk by the gospel. You've got to walk and live in line with the gospel. You've got to do one or the other. You can't do both. You can't do both. Either live by your own rules, condemn those who don't keep them, condemn yourself when you don't keep them, or live by grace. It is a continental divide. You cannot do both. You cannot do both. Please stand as we read this important, albeit a little confusing text from Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Either we live by grace, either we live as Christ in a new life, or... We live by law, by rule-keeping, by standards, by by justifying ourselves. You can't have it both ways. You can't. 
I know this is a confusing text, and I want to do my best to explain it and then go into it and kind of apply it. What's happening is, and, and the confusing thing is Paul uses the word law not in the way that we're used to using it. Okay, he's not, when he's talking about law here, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. We know that Paul does not want to throw away the Ten Commandments. He uh, condemns and, and calls us away from sexual immorality and greed and, and backbiting and gossip and, and lying. He, he does that all through the New Testament. So we know it can't be that. When he's saying law, he is talking about the laws we build for ourselves. Now, in that day, it was the diet. <laughs> it's the diet today, actually. In uh, that day, it was what you eat or drink. And that day it was how you talked, and that day it was how you dressed, and most importantly in that day, it was who you hung out with. All of those things are still ours, actually. Um, and we, we build those laws. Those are the kind of laws we build for us. And when, when I say they justify us, what I mean is you feel like you're a good person if you do them. And you feel like you're a bad person if you break them. And maybe more importantly, you judge others by them. These are the good people, and these are the bad people. And, and the, Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, you've got to start living in Jesus, and you need to start judging other people in Jesus. And if you are going to live by the law, the law will continue to condemn you. Nobody will be justified by the law. You will never be good enough. You will always feel like you came one step short today. And then and Christ has no value to you. He doesn't heal your relationships. He's no value to you because you're living by law. So live in Christ. Learn what it means to live as a new creation by grace. Now, that seems obvious, doesn't it? Wouldn't we all rather live by grace than law? Wouldn't we all rather have a knee that works rather than, than having to, to limp along on a cane or or Walker, wouldn't you rather be able to dance and run? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we wouldn't. Because it's scary, because we might fall. Because it hurts at first. And we feel vulnerable at first. You see, the value, the, the law has all these attractions. Uh, it's, it's, first of all, it, it gives us security. Right? If we're around people like us, and we know the rules of what to say and what to do and, and what to put in our text messages and, and how to get to church early and on, on time. And, and we come to early service and we, uh, we go to Sunday school. Haha, <laughs> tricked you on that one. And we, um, you know, we, we do the things. If we, we fill our calendars up with the, the Bible studies and the, all these good things, the prayer meetings, all these, they're great things. But what we do is, because we touch them, we make them into to ultimate things. So that you're a good person if you do them. You're a good person if you keep the rules. And it gives you control. And it feels like home. When I was, the um, first time I kind of went through a serious pastoral counseling. I was, it was 12 years ago now. I was very burned out. And um, my counselor kind of went through all this Enneagram stuff. And, it, and he looked at me and he said, you've turned all of your, your coping mechanisms into compulsions. 
So you feel like if you don't dominate every room you go in, you're in danger. And he was right. I had this great ability to dump. My mood became the mood of every room that I went in. And I could make people happy. And I tried to do that when it was somebody else's house. And I can make everybody sad. And that's what happened when I went into my house. And, and I had to begin to, to acknowledge that. And I wouldn't go to parties if I didn't feel like making everybody happy. And when he began to talk to me and I could see it, I got really scared. Like if I don't come in and, and blow everybody away and tell all the jokes and be the loud one who's kind of making everyone happy, they're going to be able to see me. What if they don't like me? I got really afraid. It feels... It feels vulnerable to not live by the laws that we make for ourselves. The laws give us a, a scoreboard. We know how we're doing. We know if we're good or not. We know if we've been a good person today. If we, if we set these rules for ourselves that... You know, the ideal Ricky, the one who gets up in the morning and he has his quiet time and he goes for his run and then he gets to the office and he gets all of his work done and he comes home and he's always in a good mood and he, uh, he disciples his children and he disciples his wife, kind of a joke, and, and he, he goes to bed early and he wastes no time on his phone and he wastes no time during his day. Then I'm good. I've been good. And I know that if I do those things, I'm, I'm good. It's, it's a great way to control my kids. Raising children by grace is scary. Giving them rules. Hard and fast rules. Now you have to when they're little. Y'all know that. But teaching them absolutely Never break the rules. Make good grades. Be on every team. Do your absolute best every time you're on the field. Live by these rules. Then they're safe and they won't do drugs. Right? I mean, that's really all we want. Lord, just keep my kids off drugs. And, and we're afraid to live by grace. It controls how people see me whether or not I get attacked, and if I do get attacked, I've got a, a way to justify myself and say, no, I kept the rules. It, it, it controls my children and make, ensures that they're going to have a happy, healthy life and, and a husband and, and four kids and go to a good church, and it controls God, right? If I do all the things right, if I keep the rules, surely... God's going to give me the life I wanted. Surely. He has to. And the problem with the law, the failure of the law, is it doesn't do any of those things. It, it doesn't do any of those things. You never quite get there, right? You're like my aunt. Tomorrow I'm going to keep those rules. Tomorrow I'm going to be the ideal Ricky. Tomorrow I'm going to get up and go for a run. I, good night. How many times have I laid my, my running shoes out? Tomorrow I'm going for a run. 
How many times have I, you know, grabbed a cookie and said, tomorrow I'm going off refined sugar. Tomorrow I will be the ideal. Tomorrow I will stop losing my temper. Tomorrow I will get more rest. Tomorrow. We're never quite there and we condemn ourselves over and over again because we are the problem. If there was a law that could save, surely God's law could have, but it couldn't. It didn't. All the law did, Paul says, is brought death. It brings condemnation. Not because the law is bad, but because we are weak. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We had the sin inside of us. We were dirty and we, we stain ourselves and we stain our relationships. You see, when we live by law, then our relationship with everybody is a hierarchy. Either I'm trying to be like them and they're better than me, or I'm looking down on them because I'm me and they're them. So, I mean, it really does kind of divide us into two kinds of people, right? I mean, we, we live by this, this ladder of law-keeping, of rule-keeping, and we throw away the rules that we don't like, and we keep the rules we do like, and eventually we kind of get on this hierarchy, and we, we look down on everybody who's not like us. We don't mean to, but we do. And the hilarious thing is, you know, the ladder looks different for everybody. Everybody has a different ladder, right? Some of you have a ladder that says, I'm doing well if I've gone a whole week without cussing. And some of us have a ladder that says, I'm so superior to those people who think cussing matters. And some of us have a hierarchy that says, I have gone three years without tasting alcohol. I am better. And some of us have a hierarchy that says, if Jesus drank, I'm going to drink. And if you don't, you're an immature child. I had a, a student who was once rebuked for not drinking at a party because she was being a bad influence on the unbelievers at the party. In the hilarious? She was 17. <laughs> we can make anything into a rule, right? We can make anything into a rule. I'm superior because I'm a Calvinist. Or I'm superior because I don't believe that, that theology is what matters. What matters is relationship. Everything becomes a rule. And we, we, it's just impossible for us, isn't it? To not judge other people by what we like and do. I was at the, in the uh, Smoky Mountains last weekend, and the trees were beautiful, and, and my friends and I were talking about how beautiful it was. And, you know, some people like the Rocky Mountains, and I couldn't help myself. I just went, no, these are better. I, it's so, I, I can't fully enjoy the beauty if I don't say that people who don't like the Smokies better than the Rockies are, are inferior. I turn everything into a, a competition, everything into a judgment, and your friends know that. You want to know how to know that you live this way? How often does your religion make you feel disappointed with your friends? How often are you disappointed with your children? How often are you disappointed with yourself? If, if your religion is making you feel bad about yourself, if your religion is making you disappointed with others, it is not Christianity. It's not. Grace is better. Grace is better than that. 
you can summarize the, the failure of the law by saying that uh, John Bunyan summarized the failure of the law by saying this, run and work the law demands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands. A sweeter song the gospel sings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. The gospel is better than that. The living under grace says you are a new creation. All that old stuff, all that failure has died. You know what I found out when, when I realized, when I started going into public and, and stopped trying to blow everybody away by my personality and my, uh, without relying on my charisma and charm to, to try to make everybody like me? You know what I found out? People actually loved me because I was giving them a chance. They had never seen me before. And now that they could see me, they were able to love me. That is, that's what it means to live under grace. I went to sleep terrified, and I woke with the freedom to be loved. We, if you trust the, the, the gospel, if you, if, if you will just trust this, this new need that he's put in, eventually you'll be able to dance. You see, the law comes to us and says, the problem is you. Fix yourself. Fix your anxiety. And the gospel comes to us and says, I love you with your anxiety. I love your little anxious soul. And if you would just believe that, your anxiety will probably begin to seep away. But it's okay. I love you with it. The law comes to us and says, you have separated yourself from God by your sin, and you've got this enormous ball of pus, of of." anger and frustration and impatience. And, and, and you've got to get that ball of pus out of the way before you'll ever truly enjoy relationship with God. And the gospel comes to us and says, well, Jesus comes to us and he says, man, I just love you. I love you. I gave myself for you. He puts his arm around us and he says, do you want to work on this ball of pus today? We can if you want to, but you don't have to. Maybe we should, but if you want to just spend the day looking at my smile, that's okay too. We'll get to it, I promise. Uh, the law comes to us and says, someone has insulted you unfairly. Someone has accused you on Facebook. Someone has thrown your church under the bus. You have to justify yourself. Go gather your friends. Make sure they know this is not true. Get somebody to defend you so you don't have to do it for yourself. And Grace says, isn't that funny? The Lord of the universe thinks you're amazing. You don't have to justify yourself. Peter, you don't have to justify yourself by running back to the Jews. It's okay if they don't like you. That's their issue. But you're okay with me. The law comes to us and condemns our past and throws a cloud over our future and says, you are going to continue to commit the same mistakes you made in the past. You're never going to be better. And Jesus comes to us and says, you're a new creation. All that old, all that past has been crucified. 
And you say, but I still have this sin. And Jesus goes, oh, I'm so proud of you for noticing. I'm so proud of you for noticing. I, got a, I, I had a meeting with a guy this week, and he was so uh, concerned because whenever he gets anxious, he gets really mad and dark, and he makes bad decisions. And I say, isn't it great that you noticed that? You're aware of that now. I bet you didn't used to be aware of that. I bet you used to never be afraid of that happening. You're making progress. Isn't that great? You know that now. Let's go celebrate that. You're growing. Grace says the old is gone and the new has come. I, uh, some of you all have heard this story, but when I was a campus minister, part of the job, you know, you're just campus minister for everybody, so you meet with boys and girls alike and uh, I was at Mississippi State, and so at three different places I'd, I would meet with girls because everybody's really worried. It's hilarious. These girls look at us like we're 150 years old, but everybody's really worried they're going to get a crush on us. They don't. Um, but anyway, it's wise. You've got to be wise about it, right? And so at three places I'd meet. I'd meet in the bakery. The bakery is full of RUF students. And if it was a you know, new meeting, a first-time meeting, I would meet there because I'd be able to introduce them to a bunch of friends, and that was the best part of RUF anyway. And then there was a cafeteria, and I'd meet in the cafeteria if it seemed semi-serious uh, because, you know, it was, a, it was a huge cafeteria, and you could get off by yourself, and nobody would uh, kind of be able to hear you really unless they were trying really hard. And, uh, you know, as long as you weren't bawling, crying, we're good. And then if I had a really serious issue, I, w- I had a porch at my office where literally everybody on campus could see me, but nobody could hear me or could have any idea what was going on. And so I met with this girl. She sends me an email, says, we need to get together. And I said, okay, great. No idea what it's about. So I meet her where we said we'd meet, start walking toward the bakery. And she says, uh, I said, how you doing? She said, not great. I've been crying all night. I was like, all right, let's go to the cafeteria. And uh, I said, well, what's, what's that about? And she goes, you know, you remember that email that my friend sent you uh, last semester? I did not remember it, but sometimes it's just best to go with it. And so I said, oh, I think so, yeah. How'd that work out? And she said, uh, well, I had the, the abortion. I'm like, Let's go to my porch. So we walk over to my porch, and we begin talking, and, and she's weeping, and I'm talking to her about the gospel and the, the grace of Christ. And, and then she says, but nobody's ever going to want me now, will they? Like My future's ruined. I'm never going to have a a Christian husband that I've I've dreamt about. My future's ruined, isn't it? And I took her to this path. See, what what she's doing, she's living under law. And she's failed. And she's failed so bad that she's never going to truly forgive herself, and she's never really going to believe that anybody else will forgive her. And I took her to this passage, and I said, "That, that old Jew's been crucified with Christ. You are a new creation. What you were is gone. It's gone. Now you can, you can live by grace. Now you can acknowledge, yes, you're going to fall, and you have fallen, but the Lord loves you, and He gently picks you up every time you fall, and you're getting stronger. And now you're not going to be uh, so disappointed and so uh, discouraged with, with your husband when you get one. I mean, the, 
you want to know what women, uh, Christian women in the South are like, uh, one time I preached a sermon about marriage, and I said, you don't really know how sinful your spouse is until you're married. It's true. And uh, this girl went home, and she said that to her mom. She said, Mom, our campus minister said, you don't ever really know how selfish your spouse is until you're married. And her mom looked at her and said, oh, honey, your dad's not like that. Wouldn't you hate to be married to that woman? Wouldn't you hate to be married to somebody who refuses to believe you're a sinner? Do you think that woman's husband sees her as a teammate? Somebody he, she, he, he can go to when he's struggling, when he's tempted, when he's fallen? Wouldn't you hate to live behind that kind of mask? I would. And the gospel of Jesus says you don't have to pretend. This is what I'm actually like. I know what you're actually like. I said to her, you're going to be able to forgive. You're going to be able to be a teammate for your husband. I think you're very qualified to be a great wife. Don't believe that your past condemns your future. That's how you live by grace. I mean, I think that this, this passage does demand that we ask the question, how do we live by grace? And the answer is, every, we, we, we put our, our radar up, and every time we notice ourselves condemning someone else, we, we catch ourselves and go, now why did I do that? Why did I assume this person's a bad person just for the way they cut me off in traffic? Have I ever done that? Yeah, I do that sometimes begin to be compassionate. And every time we condemn ourselves, we think to ourselves, now why not do that? Why do I think that I'm the kind of person who would never condemn someone for cutting me off in traffic? Why not do that? Oh, because I have certain laws and they can't be broken and I'm a good person if I drive well and I'm a good person if I'm not late and I'm a good person. Oh, I'm not living by faith in Jesus. It'd be a lot easier to be living in Jesus wouldn't it? And we're, we're constantly repenting of those new laws that we've made and those new rules that we've made, and we're, we're coming to Him, and we're receiving grace, and we're receiving forgiveness. And, and if you just do that for a little while, if you'll just do that every day for the rest of your life, you'll be fine. And you'll know joy. And you'll be able to dance. And if you've never done it before, then today's a great day to start. Today's a great day to start. We're going to open this table up to celebrate God's grace. I want to encourage you to uh, find someone to pray with, find an elder to pray with, come pray with me, and then take it for the first time. Let's start a, a wonderful, joyful life of grace. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come to you confessing that we have made our own rules and we failed to live by them. But boy, we sure do condemn everybody else who fails to live by them. Would you let us hear the better music of grace? Would you give us your spirit so that we could take those first difficult, painful steps so that we could repent of living by our own laws and rules so that we could learn to fly. In Jesus' precious name I pray.
Amen.